1: The story you are about to hear is true The names have been changed to protect the innocent
2: Fatima Cigarettes, best of all king-size cigarettes, brings you Dragnet
1: You're a detective sergeant, you're assigned to homicide detail. An unidentified woman is found murdered in a hotel room. Cause of death, strangulation. There's no lead to the identity of the killer. Your job, find him. The latest Fatima sales report shows thousands and thousands of king-size cigarette smokers are
2: switching to Fatima. For the month of October, coast-to-coast actual figures show Fatima sales are up 110%, or more than double.
3: Fatima, best of all king-size cigarettes. Definitely the best quality in its class, but the same price as the cigarette you're now smoking.
1: Remember, thousands of Americans are switching to extra mild Fatima. Next time, insist on the best, king-size Fatima, in the distinctive golden
2: yellow package. (laughs)
4: It was tuesday october 27th it was cold in los angeles we were working the day watch out of homicide my partner's ben romero the boss is thad brown chief of detectives my name's friday it was 1 p.m when we got to the old central jail building third floor the crime lab
5: how you doing link hi ben joe how's it
4: going did you check
5: the stuff yet yeah most of it come on back here okay well this is all of it did you find anything we can get a lead out of nothing too good no i don't think you could identify it from what we've got here the morgue post about body yet? Yeah, just this morning. How about fingerprints, Lee? Did they find any in that hotel room? No foreign prints, no. Dead end there. What about the woman's purse? Did you show anything? No chance. You can see the fabric here. Won't take a print. Yeah. Contents of the purse here. Usual stuff. Mm-hmm. Comb, lipstick, keychain, one key on it. Half pack of chewing gum, coin purse, a dime, two nickels in it. That's all of it. Yeah. According to the room clerk at the hotel, she had a wallet
4: with her when she checked in. There's no sign of that, was there?
5: Nope. No sign of it in the hotel room either. Checked everything. Is that the only piece of jewelry found on the body, that wedding ring there? Yeah, it's a cheap ring. No markings on it. No way of tracing it. About the only thing I can tell you, she was pretty well dressed. That's an expensive bag there. Yeah. Sure not a cheap dress, either. Same for a coat and shoes. They cost some money, too. How about labels on any of that stuff? One on the coat. Yeah? You can see right here. Bend with Department Store, Los Angeles. Coat's fairly new. They might be able to give you something on it. Oh, yeah, maybe. The people at the hotel, get anything there? Well, it could have been better, Lee.
4: The woman checked in last night around 8 o'clock. She registered as John Ross and wife, L.A.
5: Anyone see the man with
4: her? No, nobody. Room clerk says the woman came in alone. She said her husband was out parking the car, so she registered for both of them. hmm Clerk said he left the desk a few minutes after that. Figures the man must have come in sometime while he was gone. Nobody on duty at the desk after
5: midnight. He could have left the hotel anytime after that without being seen. She registered at 8 p.m. in says she died about 10.30. You're not even sure there was a man with her, right? Yeah, the woman who was registered next door to the murder room, she told us she heard a man and a woman arguing. It was about 10 o'clock. Said it got pretty loud. Hm. No idea who the woman really was, huh? I suppose that John Ross and wife business doesn't mean anything. That's pretty doubtful. But all we got to go on
4: is the physical description from the coroner. She's a small woman, five 5'1", 99 and a quarter pounds. Wasn't that it, Ben? Mm, yeah. Brown hair, blue eyes, about 31, 32 years old. We got her prints off to Washington. Got any ideas? We figured maybe it could be a psycho killer. How'd you figure? The coroner's report listed strangulation as a cause of death. Yeah? Whoever did it made sure her neck was broken. <laughs> At approximately 6 o'clock that morning in a second floor room of a downtown hotel, the body of an unidentified woman was found murdered. Preliminary investigation failed to reveal the true identity of the victim or the killer. As far as physical evidence was concerned, there wasn't much to go on. The deep bruises on her neck and throat along with a crushed vertebrae at the base of her skull indicated a savage attack. 1.55 p.m. Through the label on the dead woman's coat, we traced the garment to a department store where it had been purchased, but they had no record on it. It was a cash purchase, and the salesgirl couldn't remember the customer. Investigation during the next two days failed to turn up any leads. We showed a morgue picture of the victim to bartenders, waitresses, parking lot attendants in the vicinity of the hotel. They couldn't identify her. We rechecked tenants and employees at the hotel. That got us nothing. Thursday, 5 48 p.m. One answer I'd sure like to find. Yeah? The victim was a nice looking woman, well dressed, nice clothes. How come she'd stay in a cheap hotel down the neighborhood like that? It doesn't jibe for my money. Well, that's hard to say. Sure got me stopped. Two days leg work and we no play. Well, we might be in better shape when we get that kick back from Washington. I sure hope so. Go ahead.
6: Hey, uh, excuse me? Well, yes, sir. Can we help you? Well, no, I don't know. I guess that all depends. I'm waiting for a couple of detectives here. Uh, who is it you wanted to see? A couple of detectives. Well, who are they? Well, it's pretty confidential, you know. I have to talk to them. They told me to see Friday and Romero. Ben Friday and Joe Romero, detectives handling the case. Yes, sir. I'm Joe Friday. This is my partner, Ben Romero. Uh, we're handling the case. What do you want to see us about? You said you were working on that murder case? That woman they found in the hotel? Yes, sir, that's right. That's so? I see your badges? Yes, sir. Here's our identification. Mm hmm. Read about that murder in the paper, you know. You better come over here. Yeah. You're gonna thank me for this. I got all you want to know about that murder. You mind
4: telling us your name, sir?
6: I don't mind. Al P. Morgan was a good friend of hers, you know. I used to work with her. You mean the dead woman? It's the same one. I never forget a face. Maud McLeod. Saw that picture in the paper and I said to myself, there's old Maud." You're pretty sure of that, are you, Mr. Morgan? Sure, I'm sure. Maud McLeod. We used to work together in the circus. Maud was a bareback girl, you know. Best in the country, real trooper.
4: What makes you so sure it's the same woman, Mr. Morgan? Uh, when was the last time you saw this friend of yours,
6: this Maud McLeod? Well, I used to see her all the time worked the old cell's photo together. Got a photo of her. Do you mind if we take a look at it, sir? That's so why I came down here. I want to help out. She's got to be identified. Let's see. Got it here somewhere. It's old Maude in a circus costume. Yeah, here it is. Take a look at that. It's Maude, ain't it?
4: Mm, well, I don't know, sir. Doesn't seem to be too much resemblance here. Is that right? I'm afraid you've made a mistake, Mr. Morgan. Thanks for your
6: cooperation anyhow. Appreciate you coming in sure it was Maud. I
4: get it. Homicide, Friday. Oh, yeah, Frank. Uh-huh. Is that right? What'd it say? Huh? Yeah. Okay, fine. No, we'll pick it up. Yeah, thanks. Anything? Communications. They got the kickback from Washington on the dead woman's fingerprints. Any left? They got her identified. She worked at an aircraft plant during the war. Name's Doris Frazier.
6: I can't help but think you fellows are missing a bit. I knew that dead woman.
4: Well, she's already been identified, Mr. Morgan. We know who she is. Her name's Doris Frazier. That's so? Yes, sir. That's right.
6: Well, what do you think of that? Old Maude. She went and changed her name.
4: Thursday, 6.35 p.m. Ben and I went down the hall to communications and got a copy of the kickback from Washington. The murder victim was identified as Doris Eileen Frazier. She applied for a position as a typist at the Eagle Aircraft Plant in Burbank in 1942. Next morning, we checked the personnel office at the plant, and we found that Doris Frazier had been employed as a typist from 1942 to 1944. And going over her application, we found her last known address listed as 7346 Oakdale Avenue. Her application stated she was single, with no previous employment, with no known relatives. We could uncover no further information on the girl. We drove across town to the Oakdale Avenue address, a large apartment building in a better-than-average neighborhood. The manager told us that Doris Frazier had lived there up to eight months before. He said that a few weeks before she moved, she was married to a tall, dark-haired man, but he was unable to remember his name. The manager also told us that the newly married couple apparently began having trouble from the day that they were married. We checked the next forwarding address, a boarding house for women in the south end of the city. Ben and I interviewed the woman in charge of Mrs. Frances Watson. We talked to her back in the kitchen of the boarding house while she polished a set of silverware.
3: I saw that picture in the paper. I didn't connect it with Doris, though. She was a much prettier girl when she lived here.
4: You say she left here about 18 months ago, Miss Watson?
3: Yes, maybe a little more. might be closer to two years. I'd have to check my rent receipts to be sure.
4: Did you happen to know anything about the Fraser girl, Miss Watson? I mean, did you know much about her personal life at all?
3: Well, of course, I always insist on references. Any good boarding house does, you know. Doris was a nice girl in many ways. Of course, she had her shortcomings. I suppose we all do. When she first came here, she seemed like such a nice girl, and then she started to go downhill. I just don't know what got into her.
4: Well, how do you mean, ma'am? Was she in some kind of trouble?
3: Well, of course, when she first came here, we didn't know it, but she was married. This is a home for single girls, and we have our rules and regulations just like any other respectable place. Yes,
4: ma'am, I understand.
3: Well, as we came to find out later, Doris wasn't only married, but she was fighting with her husband. I understand he wasn't much at all. She was thinking of getting a divorce, as a matter of fact.
4: Well, did you ever meet her husband, Ms. Watson?
3: No, I never did. I suppose it's just as well I didn't. I understand that Doris left him after they'd been married only a few months.
4: Mm-hmm. Do you know what his name is, ma'am?
3: No, I have no idea. Doris always used a maiden name when she was with me.
4: Then you never saw this man, Ms. Watson? He never came to the house yet?
3: No, I didn't say I never saw him. I said I didn't meet him. Yes, there was once when he came to the house to see Doris.
4: And what was the occasion? You mind telling us about it?
3: Oh, it was most unpleasant, I can tell you that. Let me see now. Yes, Doris had been here about six months. Even by that time, I was beginning to see the real side of the girl. No character, Sergeant. No character at all. It shows up every time.
4: Yes, ma'am. I wonder if you'd go on, please.
3: Uh, Well, as I was saying, it was... After about six months, when this man brought Doris home late one night, about a quarter till midnight, I'd say, upset the whole house. How was that, ma'am? The two of them, this man and Doris, they stood right out there in the hall, had a terrible quarrel. language, it was dreadful. The top of their lungs, too. My husband went out to quiet them down, but the man left before he had a chance to call him down. He upset the whole house. Uh-huh.
4: Now, this man that the Frazier woman was arguing with, you're sure that that was her husband?
3: Well, as sure as I can be. That's what Doris told me, anyway, the day after. I called her in and told her I just couldn't tolerate behavior like that. It upset her quite a bit, I remember. She cried, said it wouldn't happen again. That's when she told me she was trying to get a divorce.
4: Is that what the big argument was about? Would you know that?
3: Yes, she said she wanted a divorce. Her husband didn't. He wanted her back with him certainly is sad, the way some people mix up their lives.
4: Yes, ma'am. By any chance did you get a good look at this man, the husband, I mean?
3: Well, he was tall and had dark hair. That's about all I remember. Uh, He was well-dressed, too.
4: I see. When Doris Frazier left here, Mrs. Watson, did she leave a forwarding address with you?
3: No, she didn't. I haven't any idea where she moved.
4: What kind of work was she doing while she was living here? Do you have any idea where she was employed?
3: Yes, that was one of the references she gave me. Furniture company down on Venice Boulevard, if I remember correctly. I have the address in my record book. Thickney is unfortunate, the whole thing.
4: Yes, ma'am,
3: it is. He even tried to talk to her before she left. Sat her down and talked to her for a whole afternoon. I guess it was just a waste of time. How's that, ma'am? Trouble with her husband. Terrible thing. He seemed to treat her so badly, two of them fighting all the time. I believe she was actually afraid of him. She told me he was very jealous. He drank, ran around. That's why I couldn't understand it.
4: You couldn't understand what, ma'am?
3: Doris, when she moved away from here.
4: Yes, ma'am?
3: She said she was going back with her husband.
4: The landlady, Frances Watson, gave us the address of the furniture store where the murder victim had been employed, and we drove down to check with the personnel manager, a Mr. Collins. He said that Doris Frazier had been fired from her job ten months before. He said she'd been let go because she was constantly late for work and that she got into the habit of asking for salary advances too often. Collins also told us that he'd heard about the trouble between the Frazier woman and her husband. He said he'd seen the husband in the store several times when he came to call for his wife. He identified the husband as Stephen Arnold. The description was approximately the same, a tall, well-dressed man, dark hair, heavy build. The personnel manager gave us the last known address they had on the victim. The following morning, we checked it out, an apartment hotel in the East Wilshire area. She was still registered there, together with her husband, Stephen Arnold, but the desk clerk told us that Arnold hadn't been living there for the past three months. He had no idea where Arnold had moved. He didn't know where he worked. While the desk clerk stood by, Ben and I went upstairs and checked the apartment. Anything, Joe? No, nothing. Nothing in the bedroom. Like Lee says, she goes in for nice clothes, about all I can figure. Well, what you got there? I see it lying on the desk here. Looks like she started a letter and didn't get to finish it. Hmm.
5: What's it say there?
4: Well, it's dated October 23rd. That's over a week ago. It says, uh, dear George, I've been meaning to write to you before, but and that's all. That's as far as she got. Hmm, George first time we've run into that name on this deal. Makes more than one man in her life. Yeah, there's a couple more letters here. They're all addressed to her unopened. Let us see. All we can go by are the return addresses. Telephone bill, ad from a woman's store, postcard, another ad. Here's something. Santa Monica Postmark. Yeah. Check the name on that return. Yeah. Stephen Arnold. Stephen <laughs> Arnold. 12.35 p.m. We called the office and checked Stephen Arnold through r He had no criminal record. The return address, which he'd listed on the envelope of the letter to his wife, was 10826 Pacific Front Boulevard. We located it on the beach just below Santa Monica. It was a small hamburger stand owned and operated by the dead woman's husband.
7: No, I haven't seen Doris for a couple months anyway. Why? I understand you had an apartment with your wife in the East Wilshire neighborhood. Is that right, Mr. Arnold? Yeah, that's right. Mind telling us why you left? No, I don't mind. Want to move closer to my work, that's all. That place is way too far out. Well, how is it your wife didn't move with you, sir? She wanted to stay close to town. Doesn't care for the beach much. Bad for his sinus, I guess. Well, did you have an argument with your wife, Arnold? Some kind of a disagreement? Is that one of the reasons you moved? Yeah, you might call it that. We're getting a divorce. That's so? Yeah, it was the best thing all the way around. Been nothing but fighting and scrapping the last year anyway. We decided to call it quits. Will you excuse me a minute? I got to put some cold drinks in this cooler here. Yeah, go right ahead. Uh, would either of you care for a cold drink? No, no thanks. Coke maybe? Uh, no thanks. Did you get the divorce from your wife, Mr. Arnold? Yeah, that's right. I'm divorcing her. Why do you want to know? You remember that last time you saw your wife? The exact date, I mean. No, I don't think I remember that. Been at least three months. I'll say that much. You spend most of your time down here at the beach, do you, Mr. Arnold? Yeah, that's right. I get into town once or twice a month. They sure you would like a coke. No, I no thanks. I think I'll have one myself, if you don't mind. Sure, I got a cold one here. Water sure is cold. How about last Tuesday night, sir? You happen to be in town that night? Oh, last time was two, three weeks ago, anyway. Went in to see a show. I was working here last Tuesday night. Work every night except Monday. It's the only night I'm closed up. Uh-huh. Is there anyone who can vouch for that? I don't think I get this. Why do you want to know? Well, is there anybody who can vouch for you? Well, sure, half a dozen people anyway. A fellow runs a place next door, and the guys in the rest of the stalls up and down the way here, they can all vouch for me. I work till 1 a.m., same as usual. Hey, just a minute. Hey, Vic? Vic? Yeah, Steve. Hop over here for a minute. Something I want to talk to you about. Yeah, just a minute. Hey, okay, Vic, thanks. he will be right over. Hey, you fellas want a cup of coffee or anything? No, no I wouldn't. wouldn't. like to have a change for that cigarette machine, though, if you don't mind. Oh, sure. are. Oh, thanks. Yes, Steve? Hey, uh, these fellows are detectives, Vic. uh, Guess about some kind of jam my wife got into. They want to know where I was last Tuesday night. Yeah? They want somebody to vouch for me. Sure. Did you see Mr. Arnold last Tuesday night? I was working next door. Steve was here all night.
2: You are listening to Dragnet. Authentic stories of your police force in action. Millions heard it, yet only 52 have written. Starting on Dragnet over two months ago, on September 20th to be exact, Fatima made a special money-back offer to more than 10 million listeners. The results? Amazing. Millions heard it, yet only 52 have written. If you smoke king-size cigarettes, listen to
1: Fatima's famous offer. Buy a pack of Fatima's. Enjoy their extra mildness and superbly blended tobaccos. If you're not convinced Fatima is better than the king-size cigarette you're now smoking, just return the pack and the unsmoked Fatimas before December 1st, and we'll give you your money back plus postage.
2: Fatima, Box 37, New York 1. Fatima's latest sales report shows Fatima sales up in every state in America. The month of October, coast to coast, Actual figures show Fatima sales up 110%, or more than double. Yes,
1: thousands and thousands of Americans are switching to king-size Fatima. So why wait? Switch to Fatima today. Extra mild. Best of all, king-size cigarettes. <laughs>
4: Saturday, October 31st, 2 p.m. Ben and I checked with a dozen different concession operators in the neighborhood of Stephen Arnold's eating place. They all corroborated the fact that on the night his wife had met her death in a downtown hotel, Arnold had been working at his stand until 1 a.m. Despite all the previous indications that he might have been responsible for the murder of his wife, we had to eliminate him as a possible suspect. 2.20 p.m. On the way back into town, we stopped by the apartment hotel where Doris Frazier was living at the time of her murder. After checking further with the tenants and with the help in the building, we found out that the victim had been in the habit of eating most of her meals at restaurants in the immediate neighborhood. After some two hours of checking and running into six restaurants, we found a small coffee shop four blocks from the apartment building where one of the waitresses identified Doris Frazier's picture.
8: Yeah, that's her officer. Terrible picture though, she looks so much older.
4: About how often would you say Miss Frazier came in here, ma'am?
8: Three or four times a week, I'd say. The bus stop's right out there on the corner. She'd usually have breakfast, then grab the bus and go to work. Some nights coming home from work, she'd stop in here for dinner. Nice girl, quiet.
4: Did you get to know her at all, miss? I mean, did you happen to know any of her friends here in the neighborhood?
8: No, as I say, she was a quiet person, not very talkative. Usually read while she was eating, book or magazine.
4: Uh-huh. Did she ever come in here with anyone else? Do you know that?
8: Yeah, quite a few times. She seemed to have a boyfriend. Of course, she was attractive, small, you know, but real cute looking.
4: Uh-huh. Do you happen to know any of these men?
8: No, I'm sorry, I don't.
4: Any one of them in particular she came in with very often?
8: Let's see... I think there was one. Blonde, good dresser, kind of tall, good-looking. They usually came in together for breakfast.
4: How long ago was this, miss? Do you recall?
8: Oh, say up until a couple of weeks ago. I usually waited on him in the morning. That's how I happen to remember.
4: I see. Did you ever happen to hear this man's name?
8: Let me see. George, I think that was it, yeah. Uh
4: Would you happen to know if he lives in the neighborhood?
8: No, sorry, I don't.
4: Has this man been in here during the past week, do you know?
8: Yes, he has. He came in for breakfast.
4: What day was that?
8: This morning. (laughs)
4: Before we left the coffee shop, we questioned the cashier who came up with the information that the man known as George usually left his car parked at the service station across the street. We left our card and asked the cashier to call us in case the suspect returned. At the service station, they also remembered the man known as George, but they told us he hadn't been in for the past month. They'd done some work on his car for him in the past, so they had a record of his license number. We called our DMV and found that the car was registered to a Carl Lucy in East Hollywood. 4.45 p.m. We drove out and interviewed Lucy at his home, but he came nowhere near the description of the suspect. He told us that he had purchased the car six weeks before from a man known as George Crane. He described Crane as tall, blonde, and well-dressed. From the bill of sale, we got Crane's address, a motel on East Manchester. The manager there told us that George Crane had moved a week before. He said that Crane had left no forwarding address, but he did remember where he worked. He was a driller in one of the oil fields down in Long Beach. We checked the oil company's personnel office downtown, but they were closed for the day. 6.18 p.m. We went back to the office and pulled a package on George Crane from RI. Get anything on him? Yeah, he's got a record. Here's the package here. Yeah. Nothing very heavy. Drunk charge two years ago. Another one last year. Disorderly conduct. Resisting arrest. That's about all.
5: I see. Yeah. Description checks out all the way.
4: You called the night office of that oil company, did you? Yeah, they couldn't tell us anything. Said call back first thing in the morning. Mm-hmm. Want to reach him? I got it, Yeah. Homicide, Friday. Who? How's that, sir? Oh, yeah, sure. Yes, sir. No. No, sir, I'm afraid not. Yeah, thanks anyway. You bet. Yeah. Yeah, goodbye. Well, that does it. Who was it? That guy who was in here the other day. You remember that Alfred P. Morgan or whatever it was? Oh, what did he want? He wanted to buy us a drink. He's celebrating. Huh? His old friend Maud. He just found her. <laughs> 8 a.m. the next morning, we checked with the personnel department of the oil company's downtown offices. They told us that George Crane was employed as a driller, that he'd been working for the company for the past five years, and that he had a good employment record. They told us he was on the day shift, and that he was scheduled to report for work on rig 619 at the Long Beach Field at 8 o'clock that morning. Ben and I got in the car, drove down to Long Beach, where we located the murder suspect, George Crane, at work in the field.
7: Doris Doris Frazier! No, I'm sorry, Sergeant. I don't think I know anybody by that name. How about Doris Arnold, Mr. Crane? Would you know anybody by that name? Arnold? No, no, I'm afraid not. What's it all about? You own a car, do you, sir? Yeah, that's it right over there, that dark sedan. Yeah. Have you had
4: it long? Oh, I've had it a couple of weeks. Last one I had was giving me a lot of trouble. Did you trade it in? No, I sold it to a private party. Fell out in Hollywood. You mind taking a look at this
7: picture, Mr. Crane? Yeah. Oh, uh, it doesn't look like anybody I know. Why, am I supposed to? We think you should, yes, sir. I don't think i follow you. Do you spend any time around the East Wilshire District, Crane? East Wilshire, you said? Yeah. No, oh, I've probably been over there a couple of times. Not lately, though. How about the coffee shop on the corner of Gramercy and Marengo? You ever been in there? Not that I remember, no. Well, a waitress in that coffee shop and a cashier, too. They say they've got a pretty regular customer. He fits your description exactly. You've never been in there? Well, I'm not positive. I wouldn't swear i never been in the place. What's the difference, anyway? Well, how about that service station
4: across the street from the coffee shop? You ever parked your car there? They ever do any work on it for
7: you? Oh, say, I bet I know the place you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, I've been there quite a few times. Good station. They've done some good jobs on the car for me. I remember it now.
4: Well, then I guess you remember the coffee shop. Crane? Yeah,
7: I think I do now. Right across the street from the station, that it? Yeah, that's right. Well, what do you want to know about it? When's the last time you were in there, Crane? Well, tell you the truth, I couldn't be sure. We talked to a waitress in there yesterday. She said you were in that morning for breakfast. Do you remember that? She's way off the track on that one, I can
4: tell you that. I wasn't near the place yesterday morning. Well, a cashier remembers you too. She says you were in... How about it, Crane? Look, what difference does it make? What's this thing all about, anyway? You want to take another look at this picture? Well, I told you once, I don't know the woman. I never saw her before in my life. Why don't you give it some thought? Huh? I said, why don't you give it some thought? You remembered East Wilshire. You remembered the service station. You finally remembered the coffee shop. Maybe you can remember her if well, you try. I tell you, I don't know
7: her. I never saw her in my... Look, let's go in the shed where we can hear each other, huh? All right. Yeah, that's a little better, huh?
5: Um, the waitress in the place says you were in there quite a few times with the woman
7: You usually came in for breakfast, you stopped going there about two weeks ago I don't know her What's the matter, Crane? You figure you got something to hide? I don't know what you're talking about, I don't know her
4: What do you figure she's got to do with me, anyway? We checked her apartment, mister, we found a letter she was writing to you You about ready to tell us? What's a letter? That doesn't mean anything Can't prove anything by the letter What are you thinking, anyway? We think you're lying, Crane. We think you got a reason for it. What do you say? Doesn't prove anything. Maybe I knew her, and that doesn't mean anything at all. We think it does. Yeah?
7: We think you killed her.
4: That the way it looks to you? That's the way it looks. I don't think you can prove it. We're going to try. Now, how about it? Will it go any easier for me if I admit it? That's not up to us. I don't know why I did it. What am I going to give for a reason? I don't know why I killed her. I wouldn't know, Crane.
9: Didn't really have any reason. That sounds funny, doesn't it? No reason at all. I just killed her. What am I going to tell him? If I don't have a reason, how can I ask him to let me off easy? How can I ask him?
4: I don't know, but they'll have an answer.
2: The story you have just heard was true. The names were changed to protect the innocent. On February 8th, trial was held in Superior Court, Department 92, City and County of Los Angeles, State of California. In a moment, the results of that trial. And now, here is our star, Jack Webb.
4: Thank you. Friends, all of us on Dragnet sincerely hope that all of you enjoyed a happy Thanksgiving. And now, for a moment, we'd like to look ahead, pass along a gift suggestion for the coming holidays. Your neighborhood dealer now has Fatimas in colorful, smart Christmas wrappers. You'll find they make a perfect gift. Fatima's extra mildness and better flavor, Fatima quality, is bound to please every king-size cigarette smoker. Remember, this holiday season, give your friends Fatima in the distinctive new Christmas carton. Fatima, best of all king-size cigarettes.
2: George Martin Crane was tried and convicted in Superior Court of murder in the first degree. He is now serving a life term in the state penitentiary. You have just heard Dragnet, a series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice comes from the Office of Chief of Police, W.H. Parker, Los Angeles Police Department. Fatima
1: Cigarettes. Best of all, King Size Cigarettes has brought you Dragnet, transcribed from Los Angeles. Next, counter-spy fights international intrigue. Stay tuned to NBC. The story you are about to hear is true.
2: The names have been changed to protect the innocent. Fatima cigarettes. Best of all, king-size cigarettes brings you dragnet.
1: You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned a robbery detail. An unidentified armed bandit starts a campaign of jewelry store holdups in your city. The robberies are carefully planned, carefully executed. The bandit commits brutal attacks on each of the victims. Your job? Get him. The latest Fatima sales report shows thousands and thousands of king-size cigarette smokers are switching to Fatima.
2: For the month of October... Coast-to-coast actual figures show Fatima sales are up 110 percent, or more than double. Fatima, best of
10: all king-size cigarettes. Definitely the best quality in its class, but the same price as the cigarette you're now smoking.
1: Remember, thousands of Americans are switching to extra mild Fatima. Next time, insist on the best. King-size Fatima in the distinctive golden-yellow package.
4: It was Wednesday, March 10th. It was cold in Los Angeles. We were working the day watch out of robbery detail. My partner's Ben Romero. The boss is Captain Didion. My name's Friday. It was 3.28 p.m. when I got to room 27A. <laughs> robbery detail.
10: Joe?
9: Yeah,
4: Ben. know
9: this is Mitch and Mrs. Gordon. Folks, I'd like to have you meet my partner, Sergeant Friday. How are you doing? Glad to know you. How are you, Sergeant? Mrs. Gordon, are you feeling any better now?
11: Qu'est-ce qu'il a dit, Robert?
9: Il veut savoir comment il te She's a lot better now, Sergeant, thank you. My French isn't very good, but it's a lot better than her English. The field's only been over here a couple of weeks. I met her when I was on occupation duty over there. Army, you know. Yeah, I see. Well, we'll try not to keep you long, sir. we got a few questions about the robbery. We think your wife might be able to help us. We'll, we'll sure try, Sergeant. i like to help you any way we can. And your wife was the only one in the store besides the clerk at the time of the holdup. i like to have her tell us everything that happened, if she would, please. Okay. Qu'est-ce qui est arrivé à la bijouterie? Oh
11: oui, je peux leur dire, j'ai tout vu.
9: She says she saw everything that happened, Sergeant. What would you like to know first? Well, how about the hold-up man, Mr. Gordon? Did your wife get a good look at him? Can she describe him for us? Cécile, il Que qui le
11: Oh, il portait un veston bleu. C'était un homme aux cheveux bruns, Pas trop grand.
9: Says the fellow was wearing a blue coat. He had dark hair. Wasn't a very big man.
11: Mm-hmm.
9: Does she have any idea about how tall he was? Cécile, il De quelle taille? C'est-à-dire. Custo.
11: Comme ça. Il viendrait jusqu'à ton épaule. Il faisait environ 80 kilos.
9: She can't say exactly how tall, Sergeant. She said he'd come up to about here on my shoulder, about 5 foot 8, I guess. She thinks maybe he weighed about 170 pounds. She's not sure. Uh Would you ask her exactly what happened at the store? That is as much as she can remember. Sure. Cécile, dis-leur exactement ce qui s'est passé. Eh
11: bien, j'étais au comptoir quand l'homme est entré. Il est allé directement au vendeur, celui qui me servait. Et il avait un revolver dans la main.
9: Well, she says she was standing by the counter Sergeant, when the hold-up man came in. Uh-huh. She says the fellow went over to the clerk, the man who was waiting on her. She says the fellow had a gun in his hand. Uh-huh. Would you ask her to go on, please? Et après, Cécile?
11: Il a forcé le vendeur à lui donner tous les bijoux et les a mis dans un sac de papier.
9: She says the hold-up man made the clerk get up the jewelry. The guy took it and dumped it in a paper bag. Cécile, et après
11: terrible, terrible. a puis Well,
9: after he got all this jewelry in the paper bag, the thief began beating up on the clerk. She says for no reason at all, he began slugging the clerk with a gun he was carrying. It really got nasty with him. Naturally it scared the wife and she let out a scream. He turned around and hit her. She says that's all she remembers. I'd like to get my hands on that lousy tongue. Yeah, I understand how you feel, Mr. Gordon. Could you ask your wife if there's anything else about the hold-up man she remembers? Cécile, tu rappelles-tu d'autres choses no, à propos de cet homme? avait il quelque chose d'extraordinaire? Non,
11: non, Robert.
9: Well, that's about it, Sergeant. Well, how about the man's clothes? Does she remember anything else he was wearing besides that blue jacket? Et le reste de ses vêtements, mm-hmm. et par le veston bleu, t'en rappelles-tu?
11: Non. Je crois qu'il avait un pantalon foncé, mais je ne me rappelle pas d'autre chose. J'avais trop peur. She
9: thinks maybe he had on dark trousers. She's not sure though. she was too scared to notice. il il un chapeau? Oh
11: non, il n'avait pas de chapeau. I
9: asked her if he was wearing a hat. She said no. She's sure of that. Right, see, well, is there anything else that she can remember about him, anything at all? Y a-t-il autre chose que la police devrait savoir? Non, je leur ai tout dit. C'est
11: tout dont je me souviens.
9: you got it all, Sergeant. Well, thank you very much, Mr. Gordon, Mrs.
11: Gordon.
9: How's that, ma'am?
11: Cecile.
9: She says she can't understand how a man would do such a thing. She means how he cut up the clerk that way. Yes. So hard for her. She just can't understand. Tell her we can't either. her. Two weeks before, on the 27th
4: of April at 2:30 in the afternoon, the robbery suspect had begun his campaign of downtown jewelry store holdups. Since that time, in the same general area, he would succeeded in committing three more jewel robberies and making good his escape. Each of the holdups netted him more than three thousand dollars in rings, diamonds, and other precious stones. From his M.O., it was obvious that he was experienced. All of the robberies were committed in broad daylight. All of them were apparently well planned. After obtaining the loot which he dumped into an ordinary paper bag, he turned on his victims and with no provocation beat them viciously. After two weeks of investigation, we had yet to come up with a solid lead on either the identity of the suspect or his whereabouts. We had a fair description of the holdup man. We had a good rundown on his method of operation, but repeated checks on possible suspects through the record bureau, CII in Sacramento, and through our statistician's office failed to get us anything. There were no kickbacks on our all-points bulletin. After we interviewed Mrs. Gordon, the witness to the latest jewel robbery, we were no further along than we were two weeks before. An M.O. and a description. Neither one of them were giving us much help. 4:05 p.m. We met with Captain Didion. How about the mug books? Any luck there? Miss Gordon's in there now, Skipper, with her husband, and checking through them. Nothing yet. Mm-hmm. What else you got working? New run going through the stats office. Third one this week might get us something.
9: The store manager on that job this afternoon. Did you talk to him yet? Yeah, we did. He gave us the best
4: lead we've had so far in the thing. Looks pretty good. Yeah, what's that? Well, we had him checking the mug books, and he came up with a partial identification from one of them. San Quentin, relief Yeah. No. Jack Maynard. He's only been arrested once here, drunk charge. Done time up at Q for robbery before. Ben and I pulled a package on him. We figure he ought to still be serving time at Quentin. Couldn't tell from his record, though. How's that? Well, it's possible he might have been paroled the last month or so. That would put him in line for these holdups. Mm-hmm. You check, Quentin? We got off the telestat to the warden's office late this morning, Skipper. We'll have an answer pretty soon. Best lead we've had so far. I hope it stands out. Excuse me.
9: Yeah. Robbery, Didion. Yeah? Oh, yeah, at his now, now. No, you and the Caleb stay on it. Yeah, that's right. Over the weekend, anyway. Yeah, right. Come on. Well, what's the answer? He's had three weeks. He's cleared four jobs. Every one of them in broad daylight. More than $10,000 worth of stuff. Now, how do we reach him? How about some extra manpower, Skipper? Can we manage him? What do you got in mind? Stakeout Seems to be the best angle for us with this kind of setup. How many teams you figure it'll take? Oh, a
4: dozen anyhow.
9: You figure that, Joe?
4: Yeah, just about. The thief seems to be concentrating on the downtown area. All four holdups were in the same general neighborhood within a 20-block radius. Mm-hmm. We can't cover all the jewelry stores with a dozen teams. It'll give us pretty good coverage, though. Sure help our chances. Mm-hmm.
12: And you checked out all
4: the other angles, huh? Everything. Not doing us
9: much good. Yeah. Robbery, did you? Yeah, just a minute. You, Friday. Oh, thanks. Oh. Yeah, Friday talking. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. That's so?
4: No, we'll pick it up. Thank you. This communication has just got an answer on that teletype to Quentin. On Jack Miner, what'd they say? No lead. He's still in prison. We went back and started again from the beginning. With our best lead gone, there wasn't any alternative. The following day, Thursday, March 11th, the stakeouts went into effect. A dozen jewelry stores in the immediate downtown area, all of them potential hold-up victims, were placed under constant surveillance. Three days passed. Nothing happened. No sign of the holdup man. We stayed on it. Tuesday, March 16th, 11 a.m. At a small downtown jewelry shop three blocks from the nearest stakeout team, the bandit committed his fifth successive robbery and made good his escape. The M.O. and description matched in almost every respect. Ben and I answered the call and drove to the scene of the holdup to interview the victim, a Mr. Walter Myers.
12: He came straight back this way, just where I'm walking. I was at the end of that counter there, just where you are. He had a brown paper bag in one hand, and it was just a couple of feet from me. He put his other hand in his coat pocket and he came up with a gun, pointed it right at me. Store was empty at the times sir. no customers around? Yeah, that's right. Just myself and my son-in-law, Herb, in the back room. I guess he heard this thief talking to me and he came out to see what it was all about. That's when the fireworks started. And what happened? Well, he made Herb line up along the counter right next to me. By this time, he had all the loot he wanted in that paper bag he was carrying. Uh-huh. Just when I thought he was going to leave, he turned around all of a sudden he said to Herb... You think you're a smart guy, don't you? Then he slugged Herb with the gun. Brought it right down on the side of his head, all his might. Uh
4: That's when the fight started, is that right?
12: Just about, yeah. Herb fell down on one knee. There was a great big gash on the side of his face. Even when he was down, the thief kept slugging Herb. Kept pounding him in the face with that gun. Herb wasn't doing anything. I got good and sore. Uh What happened then? Well, I didn't care what happened. I just got sore at the lousy crook. I made a dive for him, grabbed him around the chest. Uh, here, uh, something like this. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, the two of us went down on the floor and I wrestled him for the gun. Uh, that's when it went off. A wild shot. Plowed right into the wall over there. Uh-huh. Uh, Herb picked himself up and piled on the guy, too. I guess the crook really must have figured he was through. Fought like a wild man. I had a good hold of the top coat he had on, but he slipped right out of it. He grabbed his gun and the paper bag ran out of the store left me there holding an empty coat.
4: Uh-huh. This is the coat he was wearing right here, is that
12: right? Yeah, that's it. You can see one of the sleeves there. They almost ripped it clean off trying to get away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, see. I already looked through the pockets. Nothing in them.
4: Now, how about this description of the man, Mr. Myers? You're pretty
12: sure of that, are you? Yeah, I'm positive, Sergeant.
4: Man, you want to call the crime lab in the phone booth right over there, Do you mind?
9: Oh, yeah, thanks.
4: I wonder if I could check that spot where the bullet hit, Mr. Myers. That wild shot he fired. Oh yeah, right over
12: here, sir. Fine. Back of the cash register. Yeah, bedded in there pretty solid. Yeah, lucky it was the wall, not one of us. Uh,
4: say, I got a pocket knife here if you want to dig it out. No, sir, we've got a crew on the way out from our crime lab. Ballistics men—they'll
12: take care of it. I would like to take another look at that top coat, the one the thief was wearing. Oh yeah, sure. I had already looked it over pretty good. Nothing in the pockets. Couldn't find anything.
4: Hey, here. All right, sir. Just an ordinary topcoat, isn't it? There's no label on it. No, you're right. There's nothing in the pockets. Uh Uh-huh. Uh, what is it? Did you find something? Well, no, sir. It feels like a hole in the pocket
9: here. good size one. No? Yeah. My lab's on the way. Should be here in a couple of minutes. Okay, fine. Anything at all in the coat? Oh, I don't know here. Seems to be a hole in
4: this pocket here. It's possible something might have dropped down into the lining of the coat, maybe. Here,
12: let me hold out that end for you.
4: All right, thank you. Let me hold it up a little. That's fine right there. Like this? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, it feels like something down in here. What is it? Just a minute, I get my hand down in
12: there. See if I can get it. Yeah. Here we are. Uh, A scrap of paper. Some writing on it.
9: What is it, Joe? Telephone number. The phone number printed
4: neatly on the scrap of paper was Crestview 92085. There were no other notations. We checked out the number and found that the telephone was installed at 6414 Cordova Drive in the Los Feliz District. After the crime lab crew arrived at the store, Ben and I took the bandit's top coat and drove to the address listed for the phone number, a 12-unit apartment house on the corner of Franklin Avenue in Fairfax. The number turned out to be a public phone booth located in the lobby of the apartment. The manager could tell us nothing. We began checking with the tenants on the first floor of the building. We gave them the description of the jewelry store abandoned. We showed them the top coat. They failed to recognize either one. We started on the second floor at the end of the hall. The tenant was a Mrs. Iverson.
9: Do you recognize the description of all Mrs. Iverson mean anything to you?
10: Yes. I'd say it did, Sergeant. Have you tried the apartment next door, Miss King's apartment?
4: Oh no, ma'am. Why do you ask that?
10: Yes, I'm almost sure of it, ma'am. I've seen a man who looks like this go in there several times.
2: You are listening to Dragnet, authentic stories of your police force in action. Millions heard it. Yet only 52 have written. Starting on Dragnet over two months ago, on September 20th to be exact, Fatima made a special money-back offer to more than 10 million listeners. The results? Amazing. Millions heard it. Yet only 52 have written. If you smoke king-size cigarettes, listen to Fatima's famous offer. Buy a pack of Fatimas. Enjoy their extra mildness
1: and superbly blended tobaccos. If you're not convinced Fatima is better than the king-size cigarette you're now smoking, just return the pack and the unsmoked Fatima's before January 1st, and we'll give you your money back plus postage.
2: Fatima, Box 37, New York 1. Fatima's latest sales report shows Fatima sales up in every state in America. The month of October, coast to coast, Actual figures show Fatima sales up 110%, or more than double. Yes, thousands and thousands of Americans are switching to king-size
1: Fatima. So why wait? Switch to Fatima today. Extra mild. Best of all, king-size cigarettes. March 16th, Tuesday,
4: 2.48 p.m., Ben and I went next door to the apartment where a man answering the description of the jewelry store bandit reportedly had been seen several times. We rang, but there was no answer. We went back and checked with the manager of the building who told us that the apartment was registered to a Miss Lenora King. He told us that as far as he knew, Miss King worked during the day and that she usually returned to her apartment between 7 and 8 o'clock at night. The manager gave us the address of the place she worked and we checked it out. It was an exclusive gift shop on La Cienega Boulevard in West Hollywood we located Lenore King back at the main packing desk where she was employed as a gift wrapper. When we put the question to her that a man answering the description of the jewelry store bandit had been seen visiting her, she readily admitted it.
8: Yes, that's right. I'd say he looks just like that. He drops by my apartment four or five times a month. His name's Marty.
4: What's his last name, Miss King? Where can we find him?
8: I'm sorry, I never did know his last name. I'm afraid I don't know where you can find him either.
4: Well, how's that, Miss King? He visits you quite a bit. He's a friend of yours, isn't he?
8: Not exactly. I know him, that's about all. He's a friend of a friend. It's more like that. Uh-huh. Excuse me. Okay. I'm sorry. This package has a rush on it. I'll have to wrap it now. Do you mind? No,
4: ma'am. You go right ahead this man Marty, Miss King. You mind explaining a little more? If you don't know him well, why should he visit you so often?
8: Well, to tell you the truth, it's more of a favor than anything. It's for Virginia. She's my girlfriend. Uh Mm-hmm. And I wish I never got mixed up in it to begin with.
4: Well, how do you mean mixed up in what?
8: Well it's confidential, Sergeant. I'd just as soon not mention it if you don't mind.
4: Well I'd like to have you tell us everything you know about it. It's a pretty important matter, ma'am.
8: Well I don't know really how it started. I mean how the two of them got together, Marty and Virginia. They just met, I suppose. Virginia fell in love with him. She had to find some way out. How's
10: that?
8: Virginia. She was crazy about Marty. I guess she still is. They didn't want to get all involved, but neither one of them. It's romantic in a way. Could I have the scissors there, Sergeant?
9: Yes,
8: here you go. Well, the two of them want us to see each other once a week. It's enough for Virginia, she says. She loves him. That's all it that counts doesn't want to know where Marty lives, what he does, anything about him. And I guess the same goes for Marty. I
9: see. So the two of them get in touch with each other through you, is that it?
8: That's right. Usually once a week. Maybe once every two weeks. i us just assume soon talk about it if you don't mind, though. I can give you Virginia's address. She can tell you more about Marty than I can.
4: You have no idea where we can locate the man,
8: sir? I'm sorry. None at all. The only contact I have is when Marty phones me or when he comes around. He leaves a message for Virginia where to meet him and when, and then he leaves. I really think you ought to talk to Virginia about it. Uh-huh. Here we are.
9: One thing I don't quite understand, ma'am. Yes? This girlfriend of yours, Virginia, you say she's in love with this fellow Marty?
8: Oh, yeah, crazy about him.
9: And why are they playing this hide-and-seek? If they're in love, why don't they come out and get married? What's the problem? Virginia. What?
8: She's already married.
4: Before we left Lenore King, we advised her what the situation was. In the event the suspect, Marty, contacted her, she was to get in touch with us immediately. She gave us her promise that she wouldn't disclose our conversation with her. We left her our card and she gave us the address of her girlfriend, Virginia Brewer. It was a South Argyle Street address, but Mrs. Brewer wasn't at home. 8.15 p.m. We drove to her place of employment, a valley nightclub out along Ventura Boulevard where she was appearing in the floor show. She was a dancer. We located her backstage waiting to go on.
10: You must have some other girl in mind, Oscar. I don't know anyone by the name of Marty.
4: You sure about that, Miss Brewer? We've got it from a pretty good source.
10: Well, I'm sure I don't know where you got it, but it's wrong. The name isn't familiar at all. Who told you this, anyway? Close
4: friend of yours, ma'am. She seemed to know what she was talking about.
10: Who well, why did I got a right to know that?
4: Lenore King.
10: Lenore? Why should she tell you a story like that?
4: We wouldn't know, ma'am, unless it's the truth.
10: Of course it's not the truth. I don't know any Marty. I don't even know what this is all about.
4: Well, she says you know the man, Mrs. Brewer. She says you're in love with him. She seemed to have all the details. Now, is there any good reason why she'd tell lies about you? I
10: don't know. You believe what she told you?
4: Yes, ma'am, we do, unless you can prove it's a lie.
10: I'm sorry. That's my introduction. I have to go off. all
9: right, ma'am. We'll wait.
10: Point and trying to cover it over. Only one thing I'd like to ask you. Yes, ma'am. My husband doesn't have to know, does he? I mean, whatever there is to this, you don't have to tell the papers, do you? We can keep it quiet.
4: Well, whatever you tell us will be strictly confidential, ma'am.
10: All right. I know Marty. I've known him for six months I when I wasn't lying. I'm in love with him.
4: Well, we're not prying into your personal life, Miss Brewer. We just like to locate this man, Marty. That's all. It's pretty important to us.
10: Why is it important? Why do you want him?
9: Robbery investigation, ma'am. We'd like to get hold of him for an interview.
10: Robbery? Think Marty's done something? Is that why you want him?
9: We're not sure. Do you have any idea where we can find him?
10: No, no more than Lenore. I guess she told you about it. I mean, Marty and I, how it's been.
4: You have no idea where he stays, where he works?
10: No, I don't. It's been that way from the beginning. Lenore knows as much about that as I do. Only one way I can get in touch with him, and that's when he leaves a message at Lenore's. Or I'll leave a message. When we first met, Marty and I, and that's the way we both wanted it. He didn't want to get all involved. Because of my husband, I didn't either.
4: Have you seen this Marty lately, Miss Brewer?
10: Yes, about ten days ago.
4: You expect to see him again soon?
10: Well, I don't know. I suppose so. He'll leave a message with Lenore if he wants me. so I can go on.
9: Well, could you leave a message for him with Lenore?
10: Yes, I suppose so. I have to wait till he calls, though.
9: Mm-hmm.
10: Uh-huh. Can't you tell me more about it, Sergeant? Why do you want him? What's it about?
4: We're going to have to ask your cooperation, ma'am. Your friend's a robbery suspect. We think he's a pretty good one. Marty? Yes, ma'am. Now, the next time he contacts you, the next time he sets up a date with you, we'd like to know where, we'd like to know when.
10: You think he's guilty? Really think he's done something?
4: Well, he's a suspect, ma'am. That's all we know.
10: I guess Lenore told you. I love him. Love him more than anyone. Won't make any difference. Ma'am. Won't make any difference. I love him. Even if he is guilty, it won't make any difference.
4: The will to him. 8.55 p.m., we continued questioning Virginia Brewer. Before we left, we got her promise that in the event the man known as Marty contacted her, she would notify us immediately. 9.20 p.m., we checked back in at the office and made arrangements to keep the home of Virginia Brewer under constant surveillance, as well as the apartment of her girlfriend, Lenore King. The following morning, we checked with the ballistics men at the crime lab who examined the slug which had been taken from the wall of Walter Meyer's jewelry store, the latest of the holdup man's victims. It was identified as having been fired from a .32 caliber revolver. The slug was marked and filed as evidence. Thorough examination of the top coat which the suspect had left behind at his last holdup failed to yield any new leads. The jewel trays at the store which had been held up were also checked for fingerprints. A week passed. No sign of the jewel thief. Wednesday, March 24th. I'll grab it. All right. Robert Romero. That... Oh, yes, yes, ma'am. Mm-hmm. Well, when was that? All right. Fine, yes, ma'am. Thank you. Bye. You got anything? That friend of Mrs. Brewer's, Lenore King. Yeah. Says this fellow Marty called a few minutes ago. Uh-huh. Set up a date with Mrs. Brewer. They're supposed to meet at Lenore's apartment. When? 8 o'clock tonight. 4.45 p.m.
10: Yeah.
4: We checked with Captain Didion and set up a plan to have the apartment building where Lenore King lived thoroughly covered that night. Carr and Matthews were assigned to cover outside the main entrance. McCaleb and Olson would cover the lobby. Ben and I would be in the apartment proper along with Mrs. Brewer and Lenore King. By 6 o'clock that night, we were all in position. We waited. 6.30, 7 o'clock, 7.30. We waited. Mrs. Brewer walked the floor with a drink in her hand. 7.45, 7.50. 7.45, 7.50. Ben watched at the window. Virginia Brewer got nervous.
10: You can't prove it. You don't know anything for sure. How I know you're not trying for a frame, trying to blame Marty for something he didn't do.
4: We're not blaming him for anything, ma'am. He's a suspect. We want to talk to him, that's all.
10: Why don't you sit down, huh, Virginia? You know you getting upset. It'll be all right. Come on, honey. Got him all over the place, Lenore. Cops. Waiting for Marty. What am I supposed
4: to think? Why don't you relax, Miss Brewer? If he's not the man, you got nothing to worry about. He's
10: right,
8: honey. Sit down,
4: huh? Let me freshen up that drink. Hey, Joe. Yeah. Car pulling up outside. Sit down. Yeah, let's see. Right in front, see? Man getting out. Yeah, he he's coming in here.
8: Marty.
4: Can't see him. He must be inside.
10: Marty. Marty, why didn't he tell me?
4: You want to hop downstairs, Ben, see what happened? be all right.
10: It'll be all right, honey. Take it easy. It'll be all right. I didn't know. I didn't know. Sergeant, why did you do it? Do what, ma'am? Marty, I didn't know about it. We didn't know anything about each other, and this has to happen. Why didn't he tell me? I wouldn't know. I love him. The rest I don't know, but I love him. If he was in trouble, he could have told me. If he loved me, he would have told me. He would have told me everything.
4: Well, I guess maybe you got the answer. What? He didn't love you.
2: The story you have just heard was true. The names were changed to protect the innocent. On June 29th, trial was held in Superior Court, Department 91, City and County of Los Angeles, State of California. In a moment, the results of that trial.
4: Now,
1: here is our star, Jack Webb.
4: Thank you, George Fenneman. Friend, the man who sells you your Fatimas, your neighborhood cigarette dealer, is a mighty good man to go see during the holiday season. When you drop in, notice Fatima's new poster. It's a reminder that he has Fatimas in smart Christmas cartons. Now, this Christmas season, I'm buying Fatimas for all my friends. I suggest you do the same. You'll be giving the best, and believe me, they'll thank you for introducing them to Fatima quality. It's extra mildness and better flavor and aroma. Remember, ask your dealer for Fatima in the distinctive new Christmas wrapper. When you see it, you'll agree it's the smartest of all Christmas cartons, just as it should be, because Fatima is the best of all king-size cigarettes.
2: The suspect, Martin Arthur Kessington, was wounded, but not fatally, when he attempted to resist arrest After interrogation, he dictated a signed statement admitting guilt for all five of the jewelry store holdups He was tried and convicted on five counts of first-degree robbery and received a sentence as prescribed by law Robbery in the first degree is punishable by imprisonment in the state penitentiary for a term of five years to life. You have just heard Dragnet, a series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice comes from the Office of Chief of Police, W.H. Parker, Los Angeles Police Department. Barton Yarborough is Sergeant Ben Romero. Also heard were Vic Perrin and Virginia Gray. Script by Jim Moser. Music by Walter Schumann. Hal Gibney speaking. Fatima Cigarettes.
1: Best of all king size cigarettes. Has brought you Dragnet transcribed from Los Angeles. Next, Counter Spy fights international intrigue on NBC.
0: Thanks for joining us at 1001 Radio Days, your home for the best of golden age radio, when radio was king. If you enjoyed tonight's show, please do take a moment and send us a review. We always appreciate reviews, and they help new listeners find us. Until next time, this is your host, John Hagedorn. Stay safe, and we'll be back soon at 1001 Radio Days. And one note, don't forget to pick up 1001 Radio Crime Solvers. That's 1,001 Radio Crime Solvers. This is your host, John Hagedorn, and we'll be back soon.